This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians 4 beginning at verse 8 through 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8, and we read through 5, verse 8. Hear the Word of God. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken, we also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that He which raised up the Lord Jesus, shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit, Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, 
For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We read that far in God's inspired Word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that in the back of the Psalter. We turn to Lord's Day 22, page 12. Lord's Day 22, page 12, and explaining the last article of the Apostles' Creed. The Catechism asks, What comfort does the resurrection of the body afford thee? And the answer that not only my soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ its head, but also that this my body, being raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like unto the glorious body of Christ. And what comfort takest thou from the article of life everlasting? That since I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, after this life I shall inherit perfect salvation, which I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man to conceive, and that to praise God therein forever. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 about his hope. He speaks personally here in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 about his faith in Jesus Christ and his faith concerning the resurrection of his own soul and body. Paul is confessing personally, as we do in the Apostles' Creed, essentially the same thing. I believe the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And he does so because Paul knows he is going to die. He does not ignore the reality of death, as many ignore that reality today. But he faces that reality of death head on. In chapter 4, verse 10, he even says this, Repeating that idea again and again, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. And Paul means, when he speaks of dying, that as he labors for the sake of the gospel and experiences the afflictions that come upon him to his body, he not only will die, that's true, but he is dying. Dying as the Lord Jesus was dying when He came to this earth. So, Paul says, He is dying. This is not pessimism. This is not looking upon life in, 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 in an overly negative light. But it is looking at the reality of death. For our bodies, not just Paul's, but ours too, whether we are old or young, are continuously approaching death as a consequence for our sin. And facing the reality of death head on, Paul, of course, does not stop there. But he speaks personally about the comfort he has 
as he faces that reality of death. Believing, therefore, speaking, as he says in chapter 4, he confesses in verse 14 this, knowing that He which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, shall present us with you. He confesses the resurrection of the body, His own body, and the hope of the resurrection of the bodies of the other Corinthians, the other members of the church to whom He writes, and of us too with Paul. In addition to confessing, the resurrection of His body in Jesus Christ in chapter 5, He goes at length to confess the truth of Christ raising His soul immediately upon death. Verse 8 especially, we are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. All this He confesses personally. He speaks of his soul and his body receiving life from his own Savior, Jesus Christ. And as he speaks of that personally, the purpose of it is that others, hearing his confession, his personal confession, might also be comforted with him regarding the same gospel. Think about that. It is when someone is facing the reality of death, going through affliction as Paul was, or perhaps in a funeral home, going through the sorrows that they've just faced and are facing the departure of a loved one, that it is when someone facing the reality of death confesses confidently, though there is sorrow with it, confidently the hope of the resurrection of the soul and the body that others hearing such a confession are comforted in the most powerful of ways. Paul, as he endures persecution and afflictions of all kinds, and the Corinthians know that, does not despair, but instead speaks to them of His faith and hope. That being comforted, this is how Paul begins the epistle of 2 Corinthians, that being comforted, Paul says, he might comfort others with the same comfort wherewith he had been comforted. And the Corinthians are to do the same. And so, beloved, as we approach this truth a familiar truth of, of God's Word regarding our resurrection, soul, and body, and life everlasting, let us remember that the comfort is not only for you to enjoy and to take, as the Catechism puts it, where we take comfort, how we take comfort, but the, the point of God's Word and comfort to us is so also that we might speak, confess the same thing, to others, that we might comfort one another with the words of the Gospel. Consider with me the truth of Lord's Day 22 under the theme, believing the resurrection of soul and body first. Focus on the first part of Lord's Day 22, the resurrection of the soul, the soul taken up. Second, then the body raised 
And finally, the life everlasting. On the basis of 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, many other portions of Scripture, the Catechism explains the resurrection of the body. And that's the main point, that's the main thing we're confessing in the Apostles' Creed. But in doing so, the Catechism begins with the soul immediately raised at the moment of death. That not only my soul, after this life, shall be immediately taken up to Christ its head, but also, and so on. Not only the Catechism says, and yet it is part of the comfort that we have and the hope that we have. Your human body will die unless you are some of the few that will survive until the day that Christ returns bodily. Most of you, probably all of us, will die before Christ returns. Because our life is very brief upon this fallen earth. To impress that upon us, as Paul himself has been impressed with this, he brings up in the Word of God in chapter 5 here, 2 Corinthians, that our body is like a tent. Notice that. He compares our body to a tent. Verse 1, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle or tent were dissolved, we have a building of God. When verse 1 speaks about our earthly house children, it's not speaking about the place where, where you have bedrooms, where you might go to after church today, where you live. Not that house with bricks and walls and a roof. But verse 1 speaks of a house pointing to your body. This body that you have and sitting in the pew right now is... A house, but not, not a house that you should think of as that's stable with a foundation, but this body right now on this earth is a house that's like a tent, a tabernacle. And like a tent that you might use while you go camping, it's going to fold up. It's going to be done with after a, a shorter period of time. And if you were to leave it up, that tent, for, for a longer period of time, pretty soon it will break down under the weather. It is a weaker form of dwelling, the tent. Your body is like that tent, the Scripture is saying. It will fold, it will dissolve, it will break down after about 60 to 90 years for many, and much shorter for others, the tent will fold in death. Paul speaks of it as an unclothing. It will be unclothing of your soul. When the body or the tent of this body folds, then the soul within this tent of yours will be unclothed. It will not have a tent covering it. For that soul will be separated from your body. Then what? Young man, young woman, you who think you are invincible, or imagine that sometimes, 
this tent of your body is as big or as large or as strong as you might feel it is, will fold soon. What is going to happen to your soul when it is separated from that body? When it is unclothed, as the Scripture says? We must face that question head on. You know what you deserve. I remind you that you and I deserve not only the separation of that soul from the body as God's judgment and wrath, we deserve that soul immediately to be plunged into an eternal hell, an eternal death, there to suffer the just judgment of God for our sins, but for the grace of God and Jesus Christ. In Christ alone, for His sake alone, He who has already suffered the justice of God for our sins in His soul, for His sake we shall be taken up. That's the gospel of the resurrection of the soul. When this tent, this body fades and the soul is unclothed and separated from this body, then 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1 continues and says, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And when God's Word here speaks of the building, building of God, and house not made with hands, it is not referring to your physical bodies, not yet, I should say. But it's referring to heaven itself. It's referring to being clothed upon immediately at your death, with the glory of heaven, with the house of God. Then never again will we have to face death. Immediately, the catechism says, precious word, after this life my soul shall be immediately taken up. There will be no delay. Yes, pain is an, en- is an enemy, or death is an enemy that we will have to face, and there is a separation that death causes. But there will be no delay. There will be an immediate, immediate taking up of our souls to that permanent building called the house of God in heaven. For Jesus said, remember, to that child of God, hanging beside Him on the cross. Today, today thou shalt be with Me in paradise. Luke 23, 43. And that which He said to that man next to Him on the day of His death, He says about us on the day of our death. Immediately, that is today, thou shalt be with Me in paradise. Now stand in awe of that. It's familiar to you. But how does the soul continue to survive apart from the body? And how does the soul that is upon this earth go up and rise not, not, only, not to the clouds, but to a different dimension, to heaven, to the abode of the angels, to God's presence? That's astounding. It's a miracle. That we receive by faith. 
We understand that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is that great and that powerful that though we don't understand how completely, we won't. He will, as He says according to His Word, our souls immediately will be taken up without delay unto Himself. The soul does not sleep in the body. The soul does not go to some mythical place called purgatory. The soul does not cease to exist as many want to claim. But the soul for God's people immediately are taken to heaven. I call you this morning to face the reality that your body is a tent. And I call you this morning to believe, that is, to put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for the salvation of your soul when that tent folds in His appointed time. Do not comfort yourself with, I've got time. Do not comfort yourself with, well, my, my works are pretty good. I've done more good than evil. And that's why I won't go to hell. Do not comfort yourself in, well, I'm sitting in the pew here today. Or I'm part of this and that family. But comfort yourself only in Jesus. Jesus alone who by His death has conquered your death, even the death of your soul. Those who believe in Him today, you see, already have His Holy Spirit working in your hearts. I remind you that the Catechism is in the third section of the Apostles' Creed which is about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that Christ sends to give you life. And the Holy Spirit has already given to each of His people whom He regenerates that life in your soul. His life has already been worked in you by His Spirit. So that when the tent of your body folds, and when you die, Christ Jesus by His Spirit upholds the life of your soul that He has already worked in you. He doesn't give you resurrection for the first time in your soul when you die. He already has worked that life in you by His Spirit. And will take up, the catechism says, your soul into life with God in His presence. Whosoever liveth, Jesus says in John 11.26, Whosoever liveth and believeth in Me shall never die. Because He's already given you His life. Believe in this Christ. Trust in His Holy Spirit who has given you this life, will bring your soul to glory immediately at death. But now one more point of application before I move to the second point. You're called to desire 
There's life into your soul in the presence of God after death. You're called to yearn even for this. This is Paul's desire in 2 Corinthians 5. Notice verse 2, For this, for this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Earnestly desiring it, Paul says. He qualifies that in verse 4 now so that we understand it or we don't misunderstand. He does not desire to be unclothed, he says. Meaning, Paul and the Christian is not supposed to desire death itself. We don't like death. Death is the last enemy. We, we don't desire that separation itself. The unclothing of our soul from this earthly tent. But we desire what takes place after. We long for what Jesus Christ will do in the way of death. And we should more and more. Paul says in Philippians 1.23, something similar, I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Is that true for you, beloved? That to you it is far better. The illustration of the tent, and that body being as a tent, is supposed to bring to your minds the truth that you and I are pilgrims and strangers dwelling in this tent of our bodies. Temporarily. And as pilgrims and strangers, we look unto our heavenly home. Yes, there are earthly gifts that God gives us that we may enjoy. And by saying that we must and ought to have a desire for that which comes after death, by saying that I am not trying to guilt you for enjoying the things of this earth, for the things of this earth may be enjoyed by God's people and even be desired to an extent by God's people. The earthly relationships that we have, the fellowship that we enjoy here below, the food and drink that God gives to us, we receive in thanks and we may desire these things also. But the point is that these earthly things are supposed to be a reflection of the heavenly. These earthly things are not to be the end and the goal, but the earthly things are supposed to point us upward to that which is better. That which is far better. And so as the Lord sanctifies you in the way of suffering, in the way of church hardships, in the way of your besetting sins and pain to your body, Remember that one of His main ways of sanctifying you is to shape you, mold you that you might groan, yes, groan and sigh for that which is far better. 
And God is strengthening us. That we might groan and sigh for that which is far better. Not, not so we live this passive, apathetic, just waiting around and doing nothing sort of life. No. That we might, that we might know the finished life. Might know the goal which is far better. We might press onward, running the race set before us with the hope that He has given and that He strengthens even today. Immediately after this life, my soul shall be taken up to Christ in heaven. Heidelberg Catechism leads us to confess. Secondly, also this. Not only, but also. Here's the ultimate hope. That this my body, being raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like unto the glorious body of Christ. This body, this body shall be made glorious. This body that on this earth is temporary, like a tent, shall be made permanent when Jesus returns. This body, which is part of who you are, which is part of your identity. That's an important point as we proceed to the resurrection of the body. As a human being, you are both soul and body. You're not only a soul. When 2 Corinthians illustrates your body as a tent, it is important to know that that is an illustration. You are not to think this morning that your body is literally a tent, or as some have put it, even in Reformed circles, just a shell, just a covering. And, and the soul is the real you. No, that is false. That's a denial that God has created human beings, both soul and body. You are a soul and a body. Your body is not only what you have, the body, the body is part of who you are. And that's why, it's one, one reason why it's wrong for someone today to say, well, in my soul, in my heart, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a female, while my body is a male. No, God has made you both soul and body, and when He's created your body in a certain way, that tells you who you are, your identity as a, as a male or a female. And you don't get to determine that of yourself and how you feel. And so also it is that you, as a Reformed person, are not to think of your body as merely something that you do with whatever you want to do with. But it's part of who you are. And more importantly now, not only is this body part of who you are, this body is whom God loves from all eternity. When God in His counsel looked upon you and His people in love from all eternity, He chose you soul and body. 
He chose to save you, soul and body. He did not merely think of you as a number, as the government might think of you as a number. He does not merely think of you as a name, letters of a name written in his book of life. But more, he thinks of you as soul and body. That's Psalm 139, verse 16. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect, not formed. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. And in love for us then, soul and body, in the fullness of time, God sent His Son. And His Son came, remember. Not just as a soul, not as a soul inhabiting an an angel's form, not as a soul entering into an animal, not as a soul entering into a clone of a human, but as a soul and a body, fully human. Why? Because He had to suffer soul and body to save you in His love, soul and body. This body then, beloved, though you might see plenty of limitations and deficiencies and sicknesses and weaknesses and deformities and handicaps and flaws, especially as time goes on, you see more and more of them. Yet, you must know, beloved, He loves us. And He has sent Christ to die for us, soul and body. You may not mistreat this body, filling it up with booze or smoke or drugs, as though you may kill it off as quickly as you want. You may not give this body up to any sexual partner outside of marriage. This is the Lord's body. And this body, he says, he is loved and who is purchased. He will raise from the dead. He will renew. He will make like unto the glorious body of Jesus Christ. The body that will never die. A body without any flaw. A body perfected and reunited with the soul in glory. One of the best ways to describe that is negatively, because there's so much we don't know. As Revelation 21 says, no more, with this soul and body now raised on the last day. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more sin, no more shame, no more schism, no more abuse. No more paralysis. No more depression. No more cancer. No more aging. No more tribulation. No more distraction. No more mental illness. No more dementia. No more Parkinson's. No more blindness. No more headaches. No more weakness. No more flaw. Perfected bodies and souls. 
raised to the new heavens and the new earth. As you confess that in the Apostles' Creed, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who has earned this for His people. No, it's not for everyone. And I must make that clear too this morning. Many imagine a universal salvation. Everyone's going to heaven. In the multitude of obituaries today, it is just assumed even by those who do not believe. And to be nice with the world, we might smile at our unbelieving neighbor and nod when they say they're going to heaven. But the resurrection of the soul and the resurrection of the body is not for everyone. It's simply not true. And it's not love, beloved. It's not true love to look around you at everyone and and affirm them that they're all going to heaven. That they all may enjoy the hope of the resurrection of the body. Most are on the way to, to everlasting hell. In their sincerity, or some vague faith in something, and all your validation of them is not going to make them go to heaven. They need to hear They need to hear your witness, our witness of Jesus Christ. They must be regenerated. And they must trust in this Savior exclusively, just as you must. He is the only hope for mankind. There is none other. Believe that. Only those for whom He has died and then in whom He has worked His life so that you can believe today. Only such have this joy of the resurrection of soul and body. Part of faith, beloved, is to trust His power. Trust His power. Believing in Him who has earned this for you. And trust His power. The world will seek to make you doubt this more and more too. Especially as persecution comes and the threat of death comes. They would have you focus on death instead of Christ. The power of death instead of the power of your Lord. We've all experienced this to some degree or another. When we focus on the power of death, then the doubts and the questions do arise according to our sinful nature. How is it possible for a soul to live apart from the body and to go to heaven? How is it possible for the body having been broken down in the ground or the body being burned to ashes and those ashes scattered on the sea? How is it possible For all the parts of that body to be gathered back together, reshaped, reformed, revived, and brought to life and renewed. The childlike faith trusts in the power of Jesus Christ. That this, my body, 
being raised by the power of Christ, the catechism says, shall be reunited with my soul and brought to glory. There's so much proof, isn't there, of Christ's power? Beloved, if He has spoken in those first six days of creation to bring life into existence, creating that first man out of the dust of the ground and breathing into him the breath of life, then then He must surely be able to raise your body from the dust of the ground again and breathe into you the breath of life. He will. If the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary was able to join God and man together, so that mysteriously Jesus is both God and man, of course it's possible then for Him to do the lesser and rejoin your soul and body together on that last day. If Jesus died and on the third day raised Himself from the dead, His own body to be made unto a glorious body, then of course He is able to do that for you as well. And if He has already done that impossibility within your heart, that impossibility that is of taking your dead soul, remember dead in sin, like everyone else in this world, on the way to hell. He's taken that dead, totally depraved soul and worked in you His life by His Spirit. Then, then you already have the proof within you. You see? He will raise your body likewise unto glory. With Job confess, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Believe that about yourself personally. That's the emphasis of the catechism. This my soul and this my body shall be raised to life. Believe that about yourself And then take comfort in this too. Yes, about the souls and the bodies of others, your loved ones, who have died in the Lord. So that when that covenant child is taken away at a young age, For a beloved brother, sooner than you want. For a spouse, a dear husband, or a wife, a grandmother, a grandfather. Do not doubt, beloved. Do not doubt. Fear not. Only believe. Rest of the mercy of Jesus Christ who has already taken that soul to His right hand where there are pleasures forevermore and will raise body and soul to be with Him one day. Take comfort in that for your beloved 
gone before. And take comfort also in the fears, parents, and the fears that you struggle with. Parents worry. You worry about your children because you see how frail life is. You worry about your loved ones, other loved ones, your spouse that you feel you can't live without. When they delay in coming home, and all the worst case scenarios go through your mind when they're sick, and the fears come upon you, what if? Come back to this hope, beloved. Back to this hope. It is far better to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I rest in that. In the worst case scenarios, this my body will be raised. And He will bring me through without a loved one by my side. Here is comfort in life and in death. There's comfort in the lifting up of the soul immediately at death. There's comfort in the resurrection of the body. And finally, there is the comfort of life everlasting, a better life eternal. When the Scriptures speak of life eternal, and when the Catechism refers to life eternal here, it does not merely refer to length of life. But the Scriptures refer to the quality of life. We all know that the length of life without the quality of life can be quite miserable. There are many today because of advanced medicine and, and technology have their physical lives prolonged. But the quality of their life is extremely low. Many wish they could just go. It cannot be, therefore, that Eternal life is merely really long existence, never ending. When the Scripture speaks of eternal life, it's talking about the quality of that life, especially in the word eternal that describes life, eternal life. You see, it's not only about the length of life, but the person with whom you will have life. Eternal life is this. It is life with the eternal God. That's eternal life. Life with the eternal one. Life is fellowship with the eternal God. And that is exactly what Paul is longing for in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be in the closest possible fellowship face to face with the eternal one. That is life. John puts it a different way, or Jesus does, recorded by John. This is life eternal, John 17.3. This is life eternal. What? That they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. What is perfect salvation as the catechism speaks of it? That which eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor hath it entered into the heart of man to conceive. What is that? This especially. To see and know and fellowship with God face to face 
in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's why this soul, yet with sin, and this body, yet corrupted with sin, may not come before the face of God while we still have this corruption. That's why we must go through the passageway of death so that our souls perfected might come before the face of God. That's why our bodies must remain here for a while so that on the last day Christ may renew it. And without any corruption we may come before the face of God. The Holy One can only fellowship with those who are perfected. This is the sweetest part of heaven. Perfect, perfect fellowship before the face of God. When the catechism ends with to praise God therein forever, the catechism, the catechism is not merely describing the result of going to heaven. The catechism is describing heaven. This is the joy of heaven. While on this earth, your worship, for example, today, is so imperfect. In heaven, imagine that. Perfect praise. Without distraction. Totally devoted with soul and body unto the glory of God and of Jesus Christ His Son. What joy. What a Sabbath that will be. That's heaven. Will there be other facets of heaven? Certainly. The new heavens and the new earth to explore, to enjoy, to work in for the glory of God. Will there be other facets of heaven to rejoice in? Yes. Fellowship with each other. Closer than even on this earth we could have fellowship with each other but greater and more astounding and far more glorious than anything else is this perfected fellowship and worship before the face of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved. Believe regarding this eternal life that He freely gives us. He freely gives us in the end. Yet also has given us a small beginning today. That's how question and answer begins and how we end tonight. That I since I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. We do. Though we have not come yet face to face with God. Soul and body. In that close presence, we have a beginning in Jesus Christ. We sense a joy in fellowship with God already. There is a beginning of eternal life in our hearts by His Spirit. When we hear the gospel today of salvation, full and free, and of the hope we have, there is a stirring of true joy. There's a real faith that He has worked in us. And rejoicing in your Lord. 
the beginning of eternal joy now. The catechism is saying, that's evidence. That's confirmation, beloved. Though it's a very small beginning, it's confirmation. The life that He has begun in you, He will. He will bring to its end. He will bring to its fullness. He will bring to its completion one day, very soon. Being comforted by the truth of the resurrection of soul and body and life everlasting, I exhort you, now comfort one another for the comfort whereby, wherewith you have been comforted. Amen. Let's pray. O God of eternal life, this is the life, not eternal existence, not something on this earth, but this is the life. Fellowship, close fellowship, knowing Thee, glorifying Thee perfectly. We enjoy a small beginning of that already today in Jesus Christ and by His Spirit. We thank Thee that Jesus has earned that life for us and worked it in us already. And we praise Thee for the hope that we do have and that He has worked in us of the glory soon to come. Comfort Thy people and give unto us endurance and patience as we wait and give unto us also the words to speak, comforting one another with this gospel for the glory of Thy name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.